Welcome to Best Thoughts. I'm Rick Johns. And I'm Will Johns. And today we're talking about Brene Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection. And the principle of today is to cultivate creativity and let go of comparison. Mm. And I don't know about you, Rick, but uh, I've had a firsthand experience with it this week as once again, the internet exploded over the controversy <laughs> over who's taller between you and I. You need to let it go. Remember I said at the first episode, I'd put into practice all of these principles. So I've got to put it into practice today, Rick. Yes. So, so here you go. We're the same height. Ah, oh, that feels so good. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm prepared for that this week, Rick, because um, I measure my, my son this week and he's a good half inch taller than me now. And I'm, I'm, uh, wow. I'm learning to accept my humble place as yes. no longer the tallest in the family. <laughs> yes. So, so Rick, that's enough about me and our online controversy. How are you doing today? Uh, honestly, not so good. I have... He's on the floor right now, folks. I know you can't see it at home, but he's laying on the ground. He's cracked himself up so bad. All right. Okay, take, take three. Three. All right, Rick. <laughs> you don't even know what I'm going to say. I know. <laughs> I'm anticipating it's going to be good. All right, here we go. We got this. Take four, and so Rick, enough about me. How are you doing? Uh, not so good, Will. I'm afraid I have scurvy and, and, and herpes. <laughs> All right, one more time. All right, Rick, enough about me. How are you doing today? Well, Honestly, not so good, Will. I'm battling scurvy and herpes at the same time. <laughs> the, problem, <laughs> the problem is, whenever I go see the doctor, he's like, hey, scurpies boy. Scurpies. <laughs> All right, one more time. This time I can do this. All right, All right you got it, you got it. <laughs> So Rick, enough about me. How are you doing? Ah, uh, not so good, Will. I'm battling scurvy and herpes at the same time. <laughs> and the problem is, every time I go to the doctor, he says, how's it going, scurpies boy? I don't think that's very professional. <laughs> I don't know what you guys think, but it just, this seems like a little, how would he like it if he had scurvy and herpes at the same time? Calling me scurpies <laughs> oh, anyway, Will, sorry, that was my attempt at being creative for our opening. And I don't actually have either of those. Okay, okay. All I've right. been eating my oranges. All right, thank you for, for 
for relieving the concerns and worries of our listeners. Uh, <laughs> but we are talking about being creative, cultivating creativity, and letting go of comparison. So, Will, do you have any stories from your experience or your life that uh, came to mind as you were thinking about and reading this chapter? Comparison is one of the things that drives drives us from a young age. I think you know, when I look back on my childhood, uh, one of the things that was comparison regarding clothes. I remember when I was in fourth grade, uh, I needed some new jeans. I wanted a certain type of jeans that were really cool back then, and this is going to date me um, a little bit. But the cool jeans back then were the acid wash, very light colored, um, kind of the peg leg, you know, where you roll them up at the bottom and, <laughs> and that, that kind of 80s look. And instead, um, my mom bought me some dark blue, very dark blue, kind of bell-bottom like Wrangler jeans. <laughs> and they were, they were just kind of the opposite of what everyone else was wearing, you know, at that point. Yikes. And I just remember how embarrassed I felt wearing those jeans and, mm. um, and kind of, you know, made a note to myself that, you know, in the future, when I had more say over what I bought myself, I was going to try to fit in with mm. how I dressed. Yeah. And, and really, <clears throat> when we're talking about comparison, there, there is this, <clears throat> this kind of dilemma that she points out in this chapter, Rick, between fitting in and standing out. And, and it's, it's a paradox um, of, of those two things. But I know that that, that early memory of, of not fitting in, and I, I was standing out, but not in the way that I wanted to. Right, right. And that's the comparison uh, paradox, as she calls it, which I love that concept because I'd never really thought about the two together. Mm. But she does make a good case for it that we feel this pressure to fit in so that people will like us, accept us, but then we also feel the pressure. We have to stand out a little bit so that we're a little better. That's mm -hmm. the comparison. We need to be a little better, a little better, a little above. But we can't be too far above or too standing out because then we get labeled and judged and people try to knock us down. They think we're, we're being uppity. We're better than they are. We're full yeah. of ourselves. Um, and so it is. It's a real bind that if, if we're not aware of this going on, uh, there's really no way to win, is there, Rick, with this? No, and I think a lot of us are subconsciously running this rat race of comparison. Mm. I don't mm. think it's consciously. I don't think most of us wake up and say, you know what, I have to be better than my neighbor, or I have to drive a nicer car than my brother, for instance. Uh, I have to be taller. <laughs> I have to be whatever. Um, I don't think most of us consciously, and maybe some people do, and I'm sorry for those that do, but I think the rest of us just subconsciously get sucked into this, and we're always kind of looking sideways at everyone around us, don't you think? Yes, yes. We're, we're, we're trying to measure, in a way, this comes down to our value. We're yeah. trying to measure 
what is my value in comparison to other people? And, and I think just the whole approach is destined for problems. Yeah. I was fascinated. I remember hearing a podcast by a entrepreneur uh, who started her own dating app and it grew to be quite successful. And she was talking about all the logarithms and things that they put into the app and how they, you know, tried to match people. It was all about trying to match people. And she said, one of the fascinating things is to create these logarithms and to build this platform, they brought in people and they would interview them and do a profile about them and ask them questions about themselves. And they asked people to rank themselves on one to 10 as far as looks, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. And then they also would rate the person. They wouldn't put this in the profile, of course, but they would just put a number in the logarithm as to what they rated their looks, which I felt thought, wow, that's a pretty, pretty market driven right there. But what's yeah, interesting, how, how would you like to have that number assigned to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the 10 would be wonderful. I, I, I think that would be affirming to me, but I'm sure for many people that would be very off-putting, but they would rate these people on a scale of one to 10 on their looks. And she said, what inevitably happened is whenever someone was choosing a match, they always were within one number. So mm. if they were rated a six, they would pick someone who's a six, a seven, or a five. Okay. She said they never went two numbers below or above. Wow. Just never. And she found that fascinating. This is over thousands of people. So we tend to choose and find people that are kind of in our zone mm. <laughs> of comparison. Mm. And it's fascinating that that we kind of intuitively and probably subconsciously do this. This reminds me of a, of a story from, from my childhood of this, this little girl, fifth grade girl, Rachel, I, I thought the world of when I was in fourth grade. I just thought, you know, that she hung the moon and stars. You know, she was just so up there. She was a 10 in my book and I was a six. So I, I was... <laughs> I was going for it, and I had my, my, my good friend, Greg, egged me on to, to ask her out, to, to ask her at that, at that point, the term was to, to go with me. Mm. So this is really dating me now, Rick. Um, it's kind of yeah. embarrassing, but... Uh, this, is, uh, this is big stuff. That, that's probably the equivalent of talking would be today for... That's what my kids tell me anyway, that you're, you're talking when you're just getting going in a, in mm. a relationship. So I, I <laughs> um, worked up my nerve one day, um, went, went down in the basement of our house so that no one could disturb me, and uh, picked up the, the dial telephone. Whew! <laughs> I'm really feeling old. <laughs> on the cord. With it was with plugged in with a cord. The thing was was giant, huge. <laughs> Dialed uh, Rachel's number, and uh, her dad answered the phone. And I said, "Hi, is, is Rachel there?" And uh, no, uh, yes, she is. Can I say who's calling? I gave my name. She answered the phone. I said, "Hi, uh, uh, Rachel." Uh, this is Will. Will you go with me? 
And then, I kid you not, there was a long pause. Uh, That's not good. I guess so, she says. Oh, hey, and, ding, ding, and, ding. And I say to myself, and I said, oh, okay, thank you, goodbye. And, <laughs> and that was that was the only time I talked to her during oh. our entire relationship, which lasted 48 hours. Oh, And yeah. I was so terrified that I wasn't up to her level that I wasn't good enough, you know, all this comparison thoughts going on in my mm. mind, that I freaked myself out. I didn't have the nerve to talk with her. And then it was this incredible relief <laughs> when she broke up with me 48 hours later. And, and eventually, you know, to, to add a, a happy ending to this story, uh, eventually, Rachel and I became good friends, and um, and we. And can... today, she's your wife. And uh, nope. Oh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's where we were going. Oh well. <laughs> no, no, it's not that. Didn't didn't work out quite that oh. great, but. Uh, I guess for... it was the ten versus the six that threw me off. And that, <laughs> I feel like that's about what what your marriage is. But but maybe maybe that gave me confidence later to uh, to ask out my wife Lori. You know, there so, you go. So I, it wasn't wasn't a wasted experience. You know, we can learn from all the the challenges that we go through. But but really, the point of the story to get us back onto our topic is that it's all about when we can let go of comparison, hmm. then we won't put ourselves through this kind of craziness. You yeah. know, in our minds. Yeah. Where we put people above or below us, always comparing, comparing, comparing. And, yeah. and as a result, we miss out on so much that life has to offer. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you reminded me, uh, there's a quote here in the book uh, that I wanted to share. And uh, Brene quotes a dear friend of hers uh, named Laura Williams, who says, comparison is the thief of happiness. Yes. And so when we get caught up in this comparison game, we spend so much energy and time comparing, trying to make sure we're okay, trying to make sure people recognize that we're okay, but not just okay, we're okay plus a little extra and a bag of chips. Mm. <laughs> Something a little a little better than extra but or a little better than normal, but not too much better cuz then Again, we get in trouble when we're too far ahead or too far above. Um, and she goes on to say, there's been many times in her life where she started feeling really good about herself or her family or her position in life. And then in a split second, that feeling is gone when she thinks about comparing herself to someone who's doing a little better, accomplished a little more. Uh, mm -hmm. whose family is a little happier, going on a little better vacations. <laughs> something, something in a split second can steal any of our you know, personal growth and happiness and value when that comparison thought pops in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that reminds me of a story you know, that you, you told me, Rick, back in the, the time where you were big into these Spartan races, and you shared a story with me about how you could get this special medal if you accomplished the Spartan trifecta. 
mm-hmm. of doing a Spartan sprint, the shortest race they have, a, a super Spartan, which is the medium race, and a Spartan beast, which is uh, the longer race. If you do those three, you get this trifecta medal, which is which is much bigger than the individual medals. Mm-hmm. And uh, and one day you had accomplished that, but then tell me, tell us what happened after that to kind of reduce your feeling of accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, so I got, I I've, I was totally forgot about this. So thank you, Will, for reminding me of this painful memory. I had just finished running the beast so that I had my trifecta for that year. And I was walking, you know, around the Spartan camp there after the finish line, and they have all sorts of tents set up and merchandise and things. And I see a guy walk by with this absolutely massive medal (laughs) hanging around his neck, a huge trifecta medal, like way bigger than I'd ever seen before. And my friend who's with me goes, oh, yeah, there's so-and-so. He got that medal because he had done, I don't remember the exact number. Do you remember the exact number? I think it was nine trifectas in the year. Yeah, he had already done nine (laughs) trifectas, not nine races. That's three times nine, 27 completed races that year already. And he had this massive nine trifecta medal. (laughs) And immediately I felt like my stupid one trifecta was almost pointless. And that's life. Like, I mean, that can happen in so many areas of our life on little, little ways and in big ways. There's always somebody out there to dwarf your accomplishment. There's just, it just always, it's, it's bound to happen. Yeah. And so the only way forward is to let go of this comparison approach to life. And, and I really think, you know, the solution is right here in this, in this chapter by cultivating creativity. Yes. And, and creativity really connects back to what we, we started with in, in, our, in our series. Uh, it connects back to authenticity. The more we can wake up and start our day and really be in tune with ourselves yeah. and, and, and who God made us to be, who, what we are called to do for today, and to do the best that we can with no comparative references. Yeah. Just, just, I just need to be the best me that I can be. And, and so, so Rick, I want to ask you as it, as it comes to cultivating creativity, what helps you cultivate creativity? What is it that, that puts you into the creative flow? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is the, the recognition that that comparison kills creativity. Mm. So you're asking what Mm. fosters it. Uh, First, let's just make it clear. If you're always in comparison, you're not going to be creative because you're going to get judged. You're not going to fit in. You're going to, what if people don't like it? Like the comparison mentality, very similar to the pleasing others that we talked about uh, before, gets you caught so you can't risk being creative. You can't risk putting something out there. You can't risk uh, expressing yourself, your thoughts, your loves, your passions, your emotions, your humor. I mean, if 
if I was still bound by that, I wouldn't have made a Scurpies joke today because (laughs) (laughs) that was probably a little over the line. And, but to me, it was so hysterical that we had to film. I mean, we had to record that like 10 times because I couldn't get through the joke, (laughs) but it's just my sense of humor. It's my creativity. And, uh, I think part of what we have to come to the place. And for me, there was this big kind of aha moment in my 30s where I realized I am a creative person. We're all a creative person, by the way. It's not just me. Everybody is creative. We're all made in God's image. He's a creator. Look at this world. It is incredibly creative. I mean, Mm -hmm. the colors, the variety, Mm -hmm. the different ecospheres, and we could go on and on about how creative this world is. So we are all made in his image to be creative. But it was a very intentional choice, I think, in my 30s where I said, you know what? I used to be creative as a kid. What happened? Mm, mm, Yeah. And I think, Rick, I think life can definitely beat beat creativity out of us. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, we we, as as children, it just just flows out of us. We're trying new things. We're creating. We're having fun. There's that, that sense of joy. And then I know for me, over time, it's um, it's the need to be efficient and to mm. get more done yeah. that stifles my creativity. But sadly, it also stifles, you know, the joy of my life, you know, because there's there's a real joy in the creative process. Yeah. And, and sometimes even just creating something very simple mm. uh, can be incredibly satisfying. Uh, I remember... When we were kids, Rick, you and I would um, make these short movies. Yeah. Um, Dad had this this VHS video camera, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and and then he had uh, two VCRs, and so we could edit it later from one VCR to a second one. Uh, that was massive old school editing. Um, <laughs> younger people have no idea what we went through to 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 make that process but it was fun like we'd come up with these silly little kind of skit like things little movies and uh i remember one where we we had this man with with the golden shoes we were big into basketball and so the scene is you and i playing basketball in front of our garage and then this shadowy figure with golden shoes walks up to the end of the driveway like like 150 feet away, yeah. and in terror, we pass him the ball, and he shoots it from back there, makes it, and then walks away and disappears. <laughs> yeah, for no apparent reason. But, but what I remember is we found an old pair of kangaroo tennis shoes that we didn't wear anymore and found some gold spray paint in the garage. <laughs> yes. And we spray painted these shoes because we wanted to see what it would look like. And then somehow that led to the man with the golden shoes video, which made no sense. But that's creativity. Like as kids, it made all the sense in the world to us. Well, it was so much fun to make it, to show it to our friends, you know. I mean, and, and that's that's the incredible thing about creativity is that you know the the ability to share it and it really can bless other people uh when we're authentically just sharing our own creativity yeah and and so it's it's an incredible process and and for me i've always noticed that 
creativity often can can come in, in two almost opposite forms. So in, in one space, creativity can come to me when I'm still and quiet, or I'm just kind of by myself. Yeah. As a kid, it started like, I remember when I was mowing the lawn on a riding lawnmower, different creative thoughts would, would strike me. I would think of a football play, or I would think of, of like some funny movie that we could make, or whatever, or something fun to do with friends that, you know, like some thought would just pop into my, my mind while I was mowing the lawn. But creativity also comes in collaboration with other people. Yeah. And so we get together with others and we're brainstorming. We're like, what if we did this? What if we did that? And, and you know, going back to our, our little movies that we used to make, Rick, um, we just kind of feed off of each other. Yeah. You'd have an idea and then I'd say, well, what about this? And then we just, it would just all kind of come together in the end. And uh, it's just a, a really rewarding process. Yeah, absolutely. When we're kids, we just naturally, like you don't have to mm. tell a kid, hey, can you be creative? Hey, be more creative. Like kids just look around the world's their oyster kind of thing. They're, they're looking, whatever they find. Like us, we found old tennis shoes and a gold can of spray paint. And suddenly there's a movie and a guy and, and it's now a legend, you know. So <laughs> it's, that's, that's natural to children. And somewhere along the line, and I do blame our school system and things, I think, you know, it just kind of conformity becomes the standard. And then, like you said, Will, as adults, it's responsibility. Mm. Oh, now, well, if I'm going to be creative, isn't that like self-indulgent? Uh, Brene Brown brings out that concept. Wow. Wow, I don't have time. I've, I've got real adult responsibilities that I should be doing. I need to be getting ahead. I need to be doing this. The house needs to be clean. The da 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 We have a million reasons why we should not be creative why we should not indulge ourselves in this, you know, kind of luxury. It becomes but, uh, this luxury. You know, I would, I would, you know, to, to push back against that, because I think that feeling is strong, you know, that, that we always have a, a, a rational excuse to not be creative. But I would say it's the perfect way to connect with your kids, to connect with your spouse, to connect with friends. Yeah. Um, you know, give yourself that space and that freedom and and see it as an essential piece of building a a good life. Yeah. And and if you're feeling if there's a sense of of something's missing in your life, um a, a hollowness or a, a boredom or a or an exhaustion, we're gonna be talking about that more in a in a in a week or two here. Um whatever that is this could be the piece that's missing for you right now. Absolutely, Will. If you're struggling with low energy, it's probably because there's no time for creativity. There's no time for you to do something just for the sake of doing it. And, and you'll know where the sweet spot is when, when you think about what is it that gets me excited? What is mm. it that I say, wow, it would be fun to just work on a painting a little bit or scrapbooking or drawing or writing a poem or playing the piano or listening to music or dancing or i mean there's a million kind of creative the the whole world of art 
Yes. What yes. is what is your favorite form? I mean, what did you used to love as a kid? These are good questions to ask yourself and just build some time in. That's your time to even just putting a puzzle together or sewing a a, a blanket or a scarf or something that you want. Uh, these can be very therapeutic, and it brings back the energy. It brings back the joy. These are things that fill us. Yeah, and, and speaking of that kind of creativity, Rick, uh, I know you enjoy the creativity of the writing process. You've written some poems. Uh, you wouldn't happen to have something you could share with us today. Well, funny you should ask. I do. Um, <laughs> and I and this, I just admit I'm a little scared to read this because... I don't write poems for other people, but that's part of why it's therapeutic and enjoyable for me is I, I just sit down and sometimes I just think I want to put these thoughts or feelings, I should say more feelings than thoughts. I want to put these feelings into words and there's something really pleasurable for me and therapeutic for me and rewarding to me to craft the words in a way that expresses something important to me. And so for those of you that do write poetry or have dabbled with it, uh, it can be a very powerful thing and, a, and personally powerful. So it is a little scary to share it. Mm -hmm. But since we did talk about authenticity and vulnerability, I did bring it with me today. So this is around that time period in my 30s where I was realizing, wow, I spent so much of my life trying to please, not being authentic. Mm. And I was just kind of coming into that revelation of, you know, there's, there's a way of, of me being that I haven't lived yet. And so I wrote a poem that I titled, I Have Not Lived Yet. Mm. And so here's how it goes. I have not yet lived, I think. And it's not a thought of mourning, it's just that all the years that bore me thus have taught me more than I can know. I tried to live and lived to try, but now these days have passed me by. I pause, reflect, but do not chasten, for those years were not completely wasted. Only time could teach me this, and only trial and my errors, for the life without is without, and it can never there be found. But times have changed, and I've looked within to be shocked by what I found. Life is here inside my frame, wondrous, full, and sound. Behind the walls that guard my heart lies a paradise that was lost. But I have seen it now, this magical land, where all is true and free. Like an exile returning home, I remember now where I belong. I hurry onward, further inward, breaking through the many walls. For I have seen the promised land, and I cannot be content until I take up residence there. But I do not live there yet. Mm. Yes, thank you for, for sharing that poem with us. I think I can speak on behalf of our of our listeners that uh, we're glad that you, you took the risk to share that with us because um, the, the beauty of art and poetry is it speaks to us on that deeper level. 
it speaks to us at that heart level, that, that emotional level, that soul level, um, that, that is so hard to put in just regular language. And yeah. so it, it takes, it takes an artistic form of language to, to connect sometimes, you know, to those spaces. And, and that's the beauty of creativity, you know, yeah. is that it, it's a powerful gift that we're also able to, to share with others. And when this creativity is done right, it is a heart-to-heart connection. Yes, yes. But uh, as we're, we're kind of uh, wrapping things up for, for this episode, I just would like to, to leave you with the thought, how do you plan to create space in your life for creativity? Uh, because I think that's step number one. If you can find the space for it, you'll figure out what that creative process is for you and where, what really brings you the joy that, that, mm-hmm. uh, that comes from that creative process. I would add to that, it's the space and the permission. Mm. We have to give mm. ourselves the permission yes. to create, to be vulnerable, to just enjoy it, even if it's something silly, even if it's something we know, maybe our spouse would be like, really, that's, that's what you came up with? Or It's not about them. It's not about finding the audience. I think the greatest artists just do their art and then the audience finds them. Yes. And, and it's not even about the audience. Uh, so whether an audience finds you or not, like the poem I wrote, I wrote over 10 years ago, I didn't publish it, I didn't send it anywhere. This is the first time I've shared it in a public manner. Now I did send it to a good friend of mine who also writes poetry. And so it's nice to have that camaraderie and that collaboration. Uh, But you do want it to be a safe place. It should not be a comparison. The whole point is to let go of comparison. Don't don't make your first art project uh, something you enter in a contest. Please, just just do it for the beauty of it. Yeah, and what, what makes that creative expression beautiful is be, is that it's unique to you yes it's unique to you that's the beauty of it and, it and it doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't have to be better than anybody else absolutely so that's it for this week next week we're going to be looking at Brene Brown's chapter cultivating play and rest letting go of exhaustion as a status symbol and productivity as self-worth hmm I don't know about you, Rick, but that that just hits me right between the eyes. And um, we haven't even gotten into it yet. Yeah, I can't wait. That's going to be a great discussion. But until then, thank you so much for listening, everyone. You have been listening to Best Thoughts with Dr. Will Johns and Dr. Rick Johns. Uh, Not so good, Will. Have a great week, everyone.